right, it's Mark Mason with Hope Signals, the podcast of Life on the Verge Ministries. If you don't know much about us, you can go to lifeontheverge.com and learn a little bit about uh, our ministry. Uh, Nevertheless, I am going to start a new series called What's Important Now, and I'm talking about wisdom. That's that's. Wisdom is knowing what to do and when to do it. It's what's important now, and we all need more wisdom. So I had did a whole podcast on uh, Monday or Tuesday on the topic of attitude, and I kind of got a check in my spirit, like you know, I just didn't, I just didn't feel it. You know what I mean? I didn't, I, so I didn't put it out. Maybe I was just being a slacker. But nevertheless, in the meantime, I was reading through the news and I saw that Phil Robertson from Duck Dynasty fame, the dad on that uh, show. Uh, he had written a new book called Uncanceled, Finding Meaning and Peace in a Culture of Accusation, Shame, and Condemnation. So I went right out and ordered that book. I ordered the hard copy version. And for whatever reason, I ordered a couple extra copies so that I could give it to some friends, and I hadn't even read it yet. And it is a great, great book. It's worth reading, and uh, he could use our support. Uh, you know, he got canceled back in 2013 before we even heard the words cancel culture very much. Um, for some, He quoted a scripture to a interviewer from GQ magazine when asked about the topic of homosexuality. He just quoted a scripture uh, from the New Testament and boy, they just ate him alive, suspended him from the program. And to be honest, I, I didn't watch the program a lot. I watched it a couple of times, and I knew they prayed over their meals, and they were Christians, but I didn't know much about them. But after reading this book, I realized that Phil Robertson is a sincere believer in Jesus, and man, I was motivated by his book uh, he is very evangelistic in his mindset, and I love that. And boy, he knows scripture. He really does. And he motivated me to dig a little deeper myself in scripture. So often, uh, I can get a know-it-all mentality. You know, I've been in church most of my life. I've heard a lot of sermons, and I've gone through a lot of Bibles, wore them out, highlighted them. And so I can very easily kind of skim over stuff and remind myself. And true, I should know more than I knew 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but I don't know it all. So the book, really, I'm, I'm probably going to draw from it eventually, maybe even do a series on some of what he talks about one day. But what it did ultimately is it drove me to be a deeper student of the Word. Now, often I go to the computer and that's why, I mean, I have handheld Bibles and I note-taking Bible, I write in it and I try to do my devotions in that Bible, but I don't use it so much for study. I go straight to biblehub.com, which is a phenomenal website, by the way, and app for your phone. It has every version of the Bible, translations, lexicon, concordance, commentaries. It's my favorite. It's awesome. However, man, you move so fast, you just don't... You know, a few years ago, uh, maybe two years ago, after reading the book Deep Work by Cal Newport, I went to doing a uh, a hard copy calendar and using number two pencils uh, to, to write my stuff out in my calendar, and uh, it just slows me down, makes me focus a little more. Instead of everything screaming out of my phone or screen, screaming off a computer screen, you know, we're tempted to go other places. It settles me down and says, yeah, let's kick it old school and get some focus going on. And so anyway, as I, I read uh, 
Phil's book, he mentioned the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, which I've never used one. However, uh, I promptly ordered one because I see that it's it's meant for a slow-going kind of study. You know, it links scriptures together and topics together in the margins, and and maybe you've got one or you've used one. But I went went upstairs and I I found the first Bible that. Uh, someone gave me after I came to Jesus on November 23rd, 1982. My Aunt Linda and Uncle Homer handed me a study Bible, and man, it's a good one. I think it's called the New Analytical Study Bible, and it was copyrighted in 1950. This version was from 1964, and my aunt gave it to me in 1982. It was gifted to her in 1966. It's written in the, in the, in the uh, front of it. And I realized, you know, when I first came to the Lord, I would, we, Susan and I had moved into, not long after, moved into this little cottage. This place cost 175 bucks a month. Actually, it started 150 bucks a month. And I, it couldn't have been more than 400 square feet or something. It wasn't much bigger than a hotel room with a kitchen. And uh, we lived there for five years while I was in college, and they never raised the rent. They went 175 the next year, and it stayed that way for the rest of the time we were there. Uh, pretty wild. It was better than an apartment. We had our own little cottage. In the kitchen area, which was <laughs> smaller than the kitchen in my RV, there was a little pantry the size of a closet. I could barely fit in there, but it had a shelf, and it became my study, I like a desk-level shelf. And I would go in there with that study Bible and a notebook, and I just devoured that thing. Now, I went to church a lot as a kid, but until I was about maybe 13, 14, I started skipping, and you know, then I'd go to church and smoke weed behind the church. You know, I lost interest and wasn't involved at all, but so I knew a lot of scripture had been planted in me as a child. It was exciting to rediscover some of that. And man, God was giving me revelation as I studied deep in the word. And so all of this to say, I was motivated to remind myself, you don't know it all. Let's go a little deeper. Let's slow it down. That's why I ordered the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. So I, I picked up... Uh, I study Bible last night because I don't have the Thompson chain yet, and it's a reference Bible too. And I turned to the book of Proverbs, and I said, you know, one of my favorite books in the Bible, and uh, we know that Jesus is the Word of God, so all of this comes from the Lord. Uh, he moves on the hearts of people, or moved on the minds of people to write scriptures from all different backgrounds and, uh, you know, even ethnicities to give us the Bible. And so I, I know that Proverbs answers a lot of questions about wisdom. Uh, it was written, here's something, I, and we're, we're going to go into this study, and then we're going to go through some of the, the Proverbs in, in the coming weeks in this podcast and try to gain a heart of understanding, to try to gain some new wisdom. But first, I want to do a little introduction to the book, some things I learned last night. Um, Proverbs is in all the Jewish text, you know, all the all the Jewish scriptures, it's accepted. There's never been questioned that it's authentic. Uh, most of them were written by Solomon, the 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 uh, son of King David, who was said to be the wisest man that ever lived. As a matter of fact, it says uh, in First Kings four thirty two, and Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, and his fame was in all nations 
roundabout. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. That's something I didn't realize is that Solomon was a songwriter, not only a proverb writer, but a songwriter, a king, a writer, and a songwriter. Man, that guy had it all. And so one commentary talked about the fact that this was a season. This is really important for us because we are in this season in America. And I know we're dealing with record inflation in the last 30 years or 40 years or something like that. I know we're dealing with all that stuff, but we still are very prosperous. We live with, most of us live with a lot of modern conveniences. We're, we're doing all right. Maybe not as good as we were, but we're doing all right. God's providing our needs. Well, the Proverbs were written during a time of new vices and great wealth and luxury, uh, and with that temptation came uh, the, or with that came the temptation to ignore the wisdom of the fathers that had fostered all this growth and blessing. Boy, does that sound like us? You know, ignoring those that came before us, not realizing that we're living. I think it was Phil Robertson in his book says we're living off the capital created by those that came before us. So the Proverbs were written during a time that was endangered by sudden wealth. And this one uh, commentary said, The Lord is a very present help in time of need, but also great, a greatly needed help in time of prosperity. I've heard it said that uh, two of life's, life's uh, most challenging tests, two great tests, are failure and success, or poverty and prosperity. When you're at the bottom of the barrel and when you're standing on top of it, that's where we are tempted to forget God, forget what God said, and start to listen to the wisdom of the world, start to listen to our flesh. So I want to start in Proverbs chapter 1 and just look at a couple of scriptures there as we talk about wisdom, as we talk about trying to discern what's important now for my life in the culture that I live in, in the circumstances that I'm, I live in, what's important now. Now, most of you have heard the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, Solomon says in, in Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Uh, it was Psalm 111.10 that says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endures forever. But all the way back in Job, which is considered to be the oldest book of the Bible, Job 28.28 28 says, And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to, to depart from evil is understanding. Proverbs 15.33, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. So if we want to know what's important now for our lives, what's the wise decision to make today, tomorrow, uh, I need wisdom, it begins with a fear of the Lord. Now, that word means a reverence for the Lord, not a fear that he's out to get us. As a matter of fact, he's out to get us all right. He's out to get us into heaven. He's out to get us to give us a blessed life, to take care of us. While we were in our worst state as sinners, Christ gave his life for us. And so when we talk about fear, it's a reverence and a respect for all that God has done. That's why even with Life on the Verge and what we do in our ministry, it's not because I, I fear the Lord as if I don't do this, I'm in big trouble. It is an act of gratitude what we do, you know, to say, I know what God has done for me. 
and I, I, I revere him, I respect him, and I want to hear what he has to say because this world is constantly shouting, this is important now, that you own this, that you go here, that you do this, that you think like this. That's what cancel culture is all about, isn't it? It's about trying to get you to think exactly the way that we think about something. I want to think about things the way that God thinks about things. What has God said? It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 21, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he takes the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Now, what Paul was talking about is that people were looking to Apollos and looking to Paul uh, above God. You know, they were saying, I follow Apollos, another preacher of the day. I follow Paul. And Paul was saying, don't look to any man. Look to God. Because the wisdom of this world, you know, the things coming out of the minds of men can't be trusted, plain and simple, unless it's based on the word of God. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we look at... Why the Proverbs were written, let's just start there in the first, I guess, six verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Here's why. To know wisdom and instruction, discretion, understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. There you go, man. We live in a culture that's just screaming about justice and equity. Well, the Proverbs were written to get instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive. Uh, the word prudence means to, to know how to avoid evil, how to, what's important when it comes to avoiding evil, whereas wisdom, this I think I've looked up uh, Webster's 1828 dictionary. Let me give you real quick his definition of the word wisdom. I love that dictionary, by the way. It's the, the right use or exercise of knowledge, discerning or judging what is most just, proper, and useful, most conducive to prosperity or happiness. He gives the difference between prudence Prudence is sound judgment in avoiding evil. Wisdom is sound judgment in avoiding evil and attempting good. So anyway, Proverbs 1 telling us that, that verse 3, that they were written to give us instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the naive, we can all be naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion, we wonder why our young people are out of control in this country. We have taken the word of God away from their eyes. We've taken the fear and reverence and respect, uh, the understanding of God from them, or we've allowed it to be taken. Verse 5, a wise man will hear an increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Verse 6, to understand a proverb and a figure the words of the wise and their riddles. Now, that's really important. That's King James, I think. Um, I looked at those, and immediately I was like, what does that mean, a figure? What is figure? To understand a proverb and a figure. And then it says, the words of the wise and their riddles. Hmm. So I wanted to know, what's, what's the Hebrew word for, for figure? Well, it means satire, a mocking poem. And as you read the Proverbs, you see that, that Solomon's sometimes writing almost in a, in a mocking way, like, how ridiculous is this? And then the word riddle means 
an enigmatic, perplexing saying or question. That $5 word enigmatic means obscurely conceived or apprehended. So we've got to look intently in the word of the God. God, we've got to look deeply. We've got to meditate on it. We've got to ask the Holy Spirit for revelation. You know, years ago, it was famous in the 90s, these these designs or paintings that people hung on their wall that you had to look at it for a long time and focus on a certain point and then a picture would appear. You've, you've seen those, right? That's how we have to look at the Word of God if we want wisdom. We've got to look a little deeper than just reading the Word. A lot of people quote Scripture and uh, and and they take it way out of context or, or what it actually meant. They didn't study it. They didn't look deep into it. They didn't get revelation from the Holy Spirit. They just read the word, but they had no understanding. Uh, Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That word converting means to turn us back, to, to return. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. That's good news. That no matter how simple we are, uh, we can become wise. That's a great, great promise. So in essence, the the Proverbs are the voice of a father, the writings of a father to, to his son in many cases. One critical juncture in American life has been the rise of fatherless homes. And you know, you don't, you don't have to get divorced and move out to fail to be a father to your children. Um, When my kids were little, I mean, I didn't get any of this from my father, but I knew, thank God for church. You know, I I got to see models. I knew what I needed to do. I knew that it was vital that I needed to plant the Word of God in my children. And now sometimes I know I got a little heavy-handed. I mean, Lord knows I was a little punk criminal and uh, I knew that side of the tracks, and, and then I got saved, and I, I did some college life. I knew a little bit about that wildlife, and, and then I recommitted to the Lord. I became a cop, so I saw that perspective of life. Then I became a youth pastor, so boy, my kids didn't have a chance. It was easy to get heavy-handed. I tried not to be too heavy-handed, but I knew the most important thing was that I plant Scripture. I teach them I help them with understanding. I help them with wisdom. And so I loosened up as they got older. You know, if you read my son's Wikipedia page and a couple of interviews they did, which coincidentally, my son and I love each other dearly. We spend time together. He's invited me to play on stage with him numerous times since he has become the rock star that he is. Um, But back in those days, back in when he was maybe 12, 13, something like that, I could see. I could see the trajectory. I could see he was drawn to rebellion, just like I was. And so I clamped down on him a little harder. He really was hard-headed during his adolescence and uh, on into his early teens. And he was hanging around troublemakers, even at church. And uh, so he was sneaking and listening to secular music. Now, by that, I mean, you know, stuff on the radio and alternative radio and things like that. And I didn't let, I got them Christian rock music. Now, I might do things differently nowadays, um, but then I knew he was listening to Linkin Park, for example. Now, if, if you're not aware of that band, uh, not too long ago, the lead singer took his own life. It was very 
depressing music. Now, when we back up and take a wide look at music and where it's coming from, what's influencing, what did the writer mean by that, um, it's a little different. You can be a little more objective. Is that what I mean? Yeah. Um, but when you're 12 or 13, it wasn't so much the music, it was the values and the worldview of these artists that concerned me. As he got older, I, I loosened those reins. I mean, he's going to, you know, they say that once your kid is 12 or 13, they're going to do what they want to do behind your back anyway. So you better start early planting the Word of God and teaching them to revere the Lord and, and uh, walk with the Lord. And, and all of us, you know, even the Amish sow their wild oats, so to speak. Um, we all can have a tendency to go, you know, don't touch the stove. Well, I got to try it at least once. Um, maybe you didn't. God bless you. But most of us, we're, we're simple. And the Word, thank God, says it. It, that it makes wise the simple. <laughs> so uh, we, we need this. So one admonition I would give you if you are a father, with my, my children, even though you know, I did things like with the secular music or I clamped down here or there, I tried to give them a lot of freedom. I really did more than, than, uh, than I got as a, as a child. Things were even stricter with my mom and things like that. Until I was 12 or 13, I could do anything I wanted behind her back. You know, but she planted scripture in me. She took me to church whenever the doors were open when I was little. I mean, from as early as, you know, when I was in her womb. You know, it was just a part of our life to be in church. And I sat under some crazy preachers, you know, from Pentecostal to free will Baptist, super holiness type preachers. But the thing that got planted was the Word of God. And I knew in my heart that it was real. You know, she'd send me off to school every morning. She had a proverb promise box, or it was just called a promise box, and it had different promises of God. And she'd always read one of those to me before I left for school. For years, she did that. And she planted the Word of God in me. And so with my own children, I knew that I wasn't going to get it all right as a father. Who does, right? But God got it all right. I don't want them ultimately to look to me. There's one proverb that says, you know, that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And while it's nice to leave your kids a lot of money, the most valuable thing that we can leave our children is wisdom, the wisdom of God, the word of God to learn how to navigate life God's way. And so I would sit down at the dinner table usually and open my Bible and share a little devotional. You know, my, when my kids got a little older, I'd get the eye rolls, you know, uh, but I planted it. I did it anyway. And uh, and I encourage you, when I'd send them off to school, when I was home and able to do it, we would have a devotion time. And it wasn't about, hey, look to me as your hero. It was about, I want you to know what God said. You know, the Word of God doesn't return void. It gets planted. And I'm happy to say that all of my children fear and revere God. They're not perfect. They're struggling. They have their own challenges. But they all have a reverence and fear of the Lord, and they know the Word of God. So if you're a father, no matter, you know, there's a, I think it's in Judges that talks about after Joshua, a whole generation grew up that didn't know all that God had done for Israel, and they worshiped the Baals. They turned away from God. We're seeing that in our, in our nation, but you don't have to see that in your children. They may stumble and bumble, but you've got to somehow counter the world's wisdom, which is foolishness according to the Word of God. So we said, what is wisdom? Um, 
Well, the Hebrew means skill. Perhaps it's the skill to navigate life, to make the right decision at the right time, to know what's important now. When Paul used the word in 1 Corinthians 3.19, the Greek word is Sophia. Isn't that neat? Uh, So if you know anyone named Sophia, it means wisdom. It means insight. Uh, His word means skill, human or divine, intelligence. And I already read Webster's definition um, of what wisdom is. It's making the right decision at the right time. When it comes to our finances or our family or our fitness, you know, my whole in tune thing, we need wisdom in all those decisions. But here's where it, it tells us in Psalm 90:12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I love the New Living Translation. It says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so we may grow in wisdom. Time, time is numbered. That's why we need wisdom. What to do with time? You know, it's limited, friends. We're going to be done. What's the most effective thing? What's the most wise thing that I can do with my time today? Now, obviously, we don't sit and just study the Bible and pray all day. No, we've got to go out into the real world, and and we've got to work our jobs. We've got to interact with people. And so we're, we're seeking wisdom. Help me in the moment, Lord, to remember what you said when I'm tempted to do something that is not a wise use of my time or to listen to the world's uh, viewpoint. You know, when, when you talk about finance, for example, um, you go out and use credit cards with high interest rates. You talk about something affecting your use of time. Now you're trapped to that debt. You become a slave to that debt. And you've got to go out and use your time to earn money to pay off credit cards that were most likely used just to gratify some urge to own something, to have something, to listen to the wisdom of this world. When wisdom might have said, hey, your time would be better spent working to be able to give, to forward the gospel, to provide uh, things for your family that are bought and paid for. I'm getting off on a tangent here. But understand, time is the key factor of why we need wisdom in all that we do. Even today, as I've sat down to put, you know, like what's the wisest thing I can do today with my time, Lord? Now, our situation is a little different than most people in that we, you know, run our own ministry. And so there's a lot of freedom there in to the way that we structure our time. But the proof is going to be in the pudding, you know, did we spend our time in a way that produced effective ministry? So we work harder than we've ever worked. We work crazy hours. And when we're not on the road, our camper becomes our office on the road. When we're at home, I've got an office in the house that screams at me nonstop in a studio that this needs to be done, that needs to be done. I spend a lot of time planning how I'm going to use the time and praying, Lord, help me to structure them. Now, let me look. I've shared this before. I do a brain dump, usually at the beginning of every week, of all the things I'd like to get done, whether it's 
painting around the house or changing the oil in the car or making our ministry schedule, calling these people, emailing these people, doing this administrative work, designing this design for something, on and on and on, doing an email, doing this podcast, all, everything. And then from that, I try to break it down into calls and emails, you know, administrative, things related directly to prisons, maintenance, and that stuff. I break it into, you know, different segments. And then each week I look at that and each day I look at that and I go, what's the most important thing now? Lord, let me see it. Give me wisdom. Give me understanding. The most important thing I can do now with my time. Now, I know a lot of you don't have the freedom to do it that way, but you do. Have, you still are obliged to plan how you're going to spend the time that God's given you. And if you're not happy in the work you're doing, you know, we've talked about that proverb about sowing your seed in the morning and in the evening, don't let your hands be idle. How can you spend your time in a way that lets you pursue the thing that you'd rather be doing, that you feel called to do, story of our life there, you know, always doing more than one thing at a time until really now. And and so this morning as I looked at that, I had so many things to do, and I could have put this podcast off until next week. Uh, but I thought, you know, I'm, I'm feeling it right now. I need to put it out there for my own sake, and hopefully it helped you too. But to solidify a little bit, um, you know, am I spending my time wisely? Am I seeking God, fearing God, revering God? You know, am I allowing myself to slip into, you know, traps and, and sinful habits and thought patterns? And am I, you know, one of the things the enemy will use, by the way, uh, is he will use things like your past and condemnation. Now, your past can be something you did, you know, 30 years ago, but your past can be what you said to your wife this morning. And the enemy will use that, okay, to get you trapped and keep you from asking the question, what's important right now? I've used the illustration a million times probably about football players and how, you know, Patrick Mahomes can, Mahomes can go out there and throw four interceptions in the first half and come back in the second half and win the game with, you know, passing like a beast. Well, that's what those players ask. When they make a foolish mistake, you know, there's a show I watched recently that talked about the memory of a goldfish, like their memory is a millisecond or something. They don't remember. It's gone once it happens. And when we make mistakes, when we fail, we do what we can to make it right, but then we've got to forget it. We've got to, what's important now? I can't live in the past. So it's always a tactic of the enemy to keep you from asking the question, what's important now? And that is what wisdom is, doing the most important thing right now with your time. Hope that helped. I'm going to put it out today and uh, we'll dig deeper. We'll just kind of cherry pick through the Proverbs and some of these riddles and some of these satirical things that Solomon and a couple of other writers wrote in the Proverbs and uh, try to gain a heart of understanding, try to grow in wisdom. Maybe you're simple like me, and there's always room for growth. So go on this journey with me. I hope it'll help us. I know it will if we'll just focus on what God said and not get blinded by the wisdom of this world. Bless you. Sometimes fallen angels fly I want to remind
remind you that we're a completely donor-funded ministry. You can learn more about Life on the Verge at lifeontheverge.com. You can hear more of our music at theplunders.com or on any streaming service.